And Mike Broomhead, I have to ask you, you were telling a story a few minutes ago, about 15 minutes ago, yeah. about being knocked into the fence by a bull <laughs> at the rodeo this weekend. Yeah. I, I have to, how are you walking this morning? It was, it was, it was, it was weird because he just hit me in the back with his hip. So it wasn't, he didn't like hook me with his horns. So Still. it just kind of smashed me in the fence and it actually cracked my back. I felt a little taller when it was over. Well, there you go. Yeah. So it was, but it was not my finest moment. I should have known much better. <laughs> I should have known better. So thanks, Jamie. Um, yeah, maybe that story to be told later on in the show. My my event at the bull riding last night where I almost became a statistic, I should say, on Saturday. Uh, but it was a great time in Wickenburg. Um, my friend Gina Kraut put the event on. It was terrific, and they do it every year. I'll tell you about it again next year. Um, coming up in a few minutes, 835, Paul Penzone, Maricopa County Sheriff, joins us. A couple of different topics to cover with the sheriff. One is about a lawsuit that involved COVID. Another is going to get an update in the jail system and the scanners and everything else, so it should be a very very interesting half hour with the sheriff coming up in just a few moments. I want to start off with the economy. And of course, we are going to keep you updated all morning long. What happened in Louisville? Um, officers exchanged gunshots with the suspect. The suspect's been neutralized. Uh, as far as we know now, it was six people dead or five people dead, six taken to the hospital. Or is it the other way around? Six people dead, five taken to the hospital. We will keep you updated all morning long as we learn more information about casualties, who the people are, if there were uh, whatever happened. We will keep you updated. I'm going to start this morning with uh, the economy and talk about uh, the what's happening over the weekend that should concern all of us. Going back to the 1970s, I believe it was Richard Nixon who, uh, when we went to a fiat currency, got off the gold standard. It's all that stuff you hear about and read about in school. Um made a handshake deal with the Saudis back then that anytime oil was purchased from the Saudis around the world, what would happen is they would have to convert their currency to the U.S. dollar. So uh, the U.S. dollar has been the default currency on a handshake deal basically um, for generations now. And it seems now as China, China is making a big move to do, to do away with that, to kind of get rid of the dollar as the default currency. So what's happened over the weekend? America's oldest and longest ally has been the French. There's no doubt about that. They helped us win the Revolutionary War, and they have been our oldest ally. Although we have got a – obviously our alliance with all of Europe, but with Great Britain. But the French have been our oldest ally. Well, the president of France, Macron, was uh, met with President Xi of China. And I think this is something that should concern all Americans. Um, after spending about six hours with a Chinese president – as part of a three-day state visit to China, Macron made extremely clear that France wants nothing to do with World War III, which is terrific. I don't think anybody does. Emphasizing that Europe must employ strategic autonomy, um, presumably led by France to become a third superpower, according to Political. While speaking with reporters, um, he said it's a great risk facing Europe right now. It gets caught up in the crises that, that are not ours, which prevents us from building its strategic autonomy. They are also talking about um, reducing the dependence on the U.S. dollar. Now, that should concern us for our economy, and this is the part of uh, diplomacy. When I talk to people about diplomacy, why this is um, so important. It's important because these are our allies, and when things are happening around the world, if you look at the inroads that have been made in recent years, you know that the Russians have invested quite a bit, or for a while were investing quite a bit in Syria. 
We know that the Chinese are in Central America now. They are making inroads there. They are trying to solidify relationships there. That I don't believe that the U.S. should be the world's police force. I've never believed that. But I do think with being the world's superpower, we have to be good to our allies. We have to keep those relationships very close. Those people that are allies with us should stand up and be allies with us when necessary. We know that Great Britain has been for the most part. Now we're going to see, because as you know, the U.S. has backed with a huge amount of money and equipment the war in Ukraine with the Ukrainians. Now Russia is backed by China, and now we've got our oldest ally in the French making statements like this over the weekend. I think it's concerning. I'm not I'm not predicting that we are going to be left on an island, but when we talk about the other things that are going on in the world and the importance and the and the uh, what's happening in the world. This is where I think the priorities are screwed up. That's just my opinion, that the priorities are screwed up around the world. I don't believe that the number one issue that Americans are facing, and I'm going to stick just to our country, I don't think the number one issue we're facing is climate change. I just don't. This administration does. And it has an economic effect on things, but it also takes the eye off the ball and other things, this being one of them. I think this is a huge issue. <clears throat> if the dollar is destabilized around the world because it is not the world's default currency, what will be the value of our money around the world and in our country? We've already printed up trillions of dollars, which has led to this inflation. We've got trillions of dollars that were printed because of COVID, and now we're paying a big price. We know interest rates continue to climb, which cost the American government because of its debt billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars. So we know that this should be the focus. Every presidency has an issue that they are known for, Um, you know, whether they choose it or it's chosen for them. This administration has chosen climate change, and it just seems as if no matter what's going on around the world, the Chinese war game surrounding Taiwan, the North Koreans lobbing missiles again, threatening World War III, the alliance that we are seeing forming right now between the Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, the North Koreans, how it seems as if they are they are really galvanizing a relationship. What is it that the U.S. needs to be doing? Because it doesn't exactly seem like we are galvanizing our relationships with the rest of the world on our side. If the French are meeting with the Chinese and they're leaving these meetings saying, you know what, we need to be autonomous. We want nothing to do with this conflict that has nothing to do with us. Keep us out of it. That's a big part of the voice in Europe. That's a huge part of the voice in Europe. And I do think that it is a very, very big deal. Um, there were some other quotes um, in talking about this. If they become very nervous and start a war, it will be a big problem for the rest of the jungle. You need to cooperate with a lot of other animals, tigers, monkeys, and so on. As Macron was using an analogy, talking about two big elephants trying to get into a fight. Um, and this is where I think with them the, making a statement basically to China saying we, we're not necessarily going to become a part of this. So if the U.S. decides to do this um, with with allies, if if what if Russia were to continue with its assault on Ukraine and end up in Poland, then there's a NATO fight that has to happen. How willing will will they be? Uh, how willing will the French be in engaging in this? There's some other economic stuff that I thought was interesting. One seems to be good news. America is back in the factory business. Production at U.S. factories rose last year, but few things were produced at a more furious pace than factories themselves. 
jobs, so we're back in manufacturing. But the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach closed due to widespread worker shortages during contract talks. So now we're back to possibly having a strike. We have gotten through supply chain issues, which was part of the driver of the increase in prices, and now we're seeing that there may be a shortage or a stoppage. We averted a rail strike, which could have been disastrous for the U.S. economy. These are the things where our government, if we're talking about diplomacy, isn't this where we have where we believe that our government should be stepping in? And these are the areas where they should be making inroads. Construction industry has work, needs more workers. We have been a part of this push for a long time. Myself coming out of the trades, I will tell you for someone, and at the time, it was someone that wasn't going to college should do this. It wasn't as if what I was doing was the better of the two choices, but it was better than not choosing anything. That has changed. The construction world is not something that's less than college. It's not that people that can't get into college should then go into a trade. That's absolutely a false narrative, which I learned very quickly when I became a tradesman. Some of the best life lessons and smartest people I've ever known, smartest business people I've ever known, were tradesmen and women. The bosses I worked for in the electrical trade, uh, one in one in particular was a guy named James Cheslowski. Um, he was called Cheslowski Electric. He ran he, he ran the tightest ship I have ever seen when it came to being an employer. It was an amazing run with him. I learned so much from him about efficiency and everything else. And he was a tradesman just like I was that went on to have his own business and grew his company and became very, very successful. So it isn't as if you either go to college and if you're not able to get into college, you that's just no longer the way it is. What suits you better? Because you're going to feed your family and you're going to make a very, very good living. Coming up in a few moments, we are joined by Paul Penzone, the Maricopa County Sheriff. We're going to talk about a lawsuit and some other things going on in the jail system. All that's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right. Joining me in studio, Maricopa County Sheriff Paul Penzone. Sheriff, welcome. Thanks for having me, big man. It's good it's, to see you in person. Yeah, it's, always, it's always good to talk with you. Um, really interested in this story uh, about what happened because I didn't even know for all the stuff we talk about in law enforcement. I didn't realize how big this lawsuit was. But early on in COVID, if you can tell us the story, early on in COVID, was it the ACLU and another organization that sued the sheriff's office and wanted inmates released because of COVID danger, correct? Yeah, and I appreciate you giving the time, Mike, because what happens often is you'll see when lawsuits are levied against any governmental institution, you know, our office, unfortunately, facing too many. And when it occurs, it gets a ton of attraction. And I feel like it paints this picture over the employees and their hard work and misrepresents the sacrifice they make. So in lawsuits, when, when we're on the upside of them, when the reputation of these men and women is is defended because it shows that they've done nothing wrong, it's like crickets out there. So I really appreciate you giving me the time because I owe it to, to the men and women of the organization to tout when they do great work. So yeah, it was it was in June of 2020, and this lawsuit was filed, and and the premise was the allegation was we were violating constitutional rights by not doing enough to ensure the safety of inmates when it came to their health and the threat of COVID, and the lawsuit basically. Um, the effort was that we were going to be forced to release inmates if they fell into a category that was deemed to be that they were more at risk of, of 
getting COVID and potentially dying from it. Um, and what wasn't taken into consideration was all the work that went in advance by our employees to keep them safe. So what was some of that work that you had done? Because the judge validated your side of this, not once, but twice, right? Yeah, there were two separate lawsuits that were kind of mimicked each other. And, and, and when you read what the judge wrote, it was impressive because he took the time to really itemize everything that we had done to protect inmates. So, um, you know, let's just kind of roll the clock back. When COVID was hitting in other parts of the world, it, you know, we have this naivety like, oh, we'll be fine. It's not going to get us. But this is the, the world is international. So we were really progressive in doing things like acquiring masks and getting things to sanitize the cells and and making sure that we had gloves. And, that, and it wasn't just for our own employees. It was for the inmates and everybody so that the environment could be clean and that our employees could perform in a way that they could be you know safe and healthy. We took steps to set up a design to quarantine people if they came through when we tested, you know, or, or to at least isolate. So we weren't passing that infection through the jails. And if someone was infected, they were moved into medical, you know, care and, and taken care of. Uh, so this was from, from the very beginning. When everybody was unsure, we took the position that we're going to err on the side of overreacting to ensure the safety, not only of the inmate population, but of our own employees. You know, there are a lot of men and women go to work every day facing the threat of violence, but the biological threat that they were facing at that time in a closed environment was, was considerable. So we wanted to be in front of it. And we were from from Jump Street. And it had to take a lot of buy in from the employees as well, because very early on, we didn't know. I mean, even here in this area where we are, we had uh, bleach spray because we heard it was on countertops and other times it was masks. And nobody was sure at first what was going to work. And there were people that kind of pushed back. But it took a lot of buy in. Yeah, and listen, I'm sure those out there listening right now, they're going, well, you know, this isn't all that sexy, Mike, while we talk about this morning. It is important, and I'll tell you why it's important. My, my responsibilities as a sheriff when you elected me, first and foremost, is public safety, making sure the community is safe. The other part of it is accountability and transparency, but right behind that or adjacent to it is I have an obligation to protect the reputation of the men and women who are doing this difficult job because they face so much criticism and scrutiny, it's not fair to them. So, yeah, they were going to work every day putting on masks. For eight, 10, 12 hour shifts, you know, and they were putting on gloves and they were sanitizing, doing all these additional duties that weren't commonplace. And they did it with the right attitude that although it may not have been comfortable, they may not have agreed with it. They understood that the organization had to protect people and protect the reputation of the organization because we could face a lawsuit like this if we didn't. So what was it that the judge said that when you read the judge's decision and what the judge had to say, what was it that kind of made you? pump your fist in the air like thank goodness you know he now someone finally has said we did the right thing well the best way i could sum it up is you know you could paraphrase it he said we went above and beyond we didn't just do what was necessary we went to the extreme and and i have to you know some people that i've spoken to are like gosh i'm not sure that you really want to represent what i'm about to share with you because it is so heavy my understanding is there were three inmates that died of covid during this time frame right in and out we lost about 15 or 16 employees to COVID. So we literally lost more employees than we saw inmates go through there and die. And I'm not saying that one is, you know, if, if I tout it the other way, then suddenly that makes it okay. You don't want to see any loss of life. But just take a moment to think about that. These detention officers knew that their own lives were at risk, yet they came to work every day and did the job to the best of their ability. And what made me most proud was when you read this lawsuit, the judge did not mince words. He stated clearly the sheriff's office, correctional health services, and county health did everything that was not only reasonable, but above and beyond to ensure that they met the expectations of the community in caring for the inmate population. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk, you know, and it has nothing to do with the jail system. It's the prison system. Judges are talking about.
about medical care and making sure things change in our prison system. But you're saying in the jail system, this has been kind of business as usual for your office. Yes. You know, but imagine this. We have so in any given day, you know, there's going to be anywhere from 6,500 to 8,500 inmates in our jail system, about 100,000 every year, 250 to 300 every day are coming in and going out the door. So everything they're coming through the door with, they're bringing. If it's any type of infection, any type of issue, mental illness, drug addiction, and our detention officers and correctional health staff are expected to meet them where they are and care for them. And this is a population, again, it's a criminal element, people accused of crimes, already difficult to manage in of itself. And in that environment, which you often hear is when there's a mishap, when there's a, somebody performs in a way that, that goes in conflict with our values, and that'll be exploited all day long. But was isn't exploited is the good work, and that's what I wanted to talk about today, so I appreciate you letting me come in and talk about it. All right, we've got one more segment with the sheriff, and we are going to, I'm going to talk to you about changes you've been making because of fentanyl. We've talked about this a little bit, I just want to get an update. So the sheriff is going to join us for one more segment, and we're going to get an update from him coming up with that in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Joining me in studio is Maricopa County Sheriff Paul Penzone. Let's shift gears. Um, I know you've made some changes recently because of fentanyl and because of some, uh, there was an accusation against one of your detention officers. So you have installed um, scanners to not only scan inmates, but also to scan uh, employees for drugs and other paraphernalia, correct? Yeah, we're in the final stages. They're being shipped now and, and implemented, and we're going to be staffing those up, not using our detention officers so that we don't deplete the, the workforce. But I just feel like if you're truly committed to a drug-free jail, which is it's not attainable, it's not realistic, but you can mitigate by being thoughtful and, and committed, um, that it has to be everybody. And it's not just our employees. You know, There's a lot of other staff that come in. There are volunteers that come into the jail system. So anybody and everybody who might be considering bringing contraband, we should have a high standard to, to prevent that from happening. To highlight this, unfortunately, seven incarcerated people at the Estrella Jail were hospitalized. And was it an overdose? Yes. Um, you know, and, and the investigation is ongoing right now, so I'd like to tell you definitively what it was. I can presume fentanyl is the most likely uh, culprit. But here's what needs to be explained. First and foremost, what happens in the jail is a reflection of what's going on in society. It just ends up being a little bit more exaggerated because our population, our drug users and, and, and people involved in crime. So the, the, it's disproportionate, right? Um, and people go, well, how does that happen? How do you get drugs in the jail? I am amazed at what inmates are willing to do to bring drugs in the jail. And you have to recognize there are inmates who know they're going in. It's not like you just got a rest on the street. It could be a probation violation. It could be that you've been sentenced and have to report. So they will put drugs in parts of their body where we are not permitted by law to access. And I'm sure you understand what I'm explaining. And when they can bring it in, and they can distribute it. It's got high value, and fentanyl is so dangerous um, that this is the type of thing that we see. So we're doing everything possible. We even have our called a SWAT team. It's in the jails. I call it SRT, a special response team. They will hit pods just randomly, very aggressively, and do searches. Um, we have upped the volume of searches that we're doing, and we try to conduct very thorough reviews of inmates coming through to try to get the drugs out of them before they get inside the jail. One of the most successful things for CBP is they use the dogs that are so well-trained that have such 
such high sense of, uh, sense um, senses that they can smell the drugs. Are do you employ that? Is that something, or is that just such an expensive proposition? No, we're actually looking into it right now. I spoke with my chief last week because we're going to take every possible step because it's not just the inmate population; it is the detention officers who are at risk when you're dealing with this issue. So we're going to consider everything and, and anything um, because we want to make sure that we run a jail system where we can keep everybody safe, including our DOs. And this is the biggest threat to us right now. You know, there's even interesting ways, Mike, that you wouldn't imagine that. You know, so I'll give an example. When it comes to correspondences that go into the jail to inmates, if it comes from an attorney that is protected communication. So the folks that work in our, you know, jail crimes area that review the mail coming in, to do their best to review everything, make sure that people aren't mailing drugs in. But inmates will take paper, you know, first they'll take an envelope that came from a legitimate, you know, um, legal correspondence, send that envelope back out, have a, a family member or friend get a piece of paper right on there as though it's a, a legal communication. They will dilute fentanyl and water, dip that piece of paper in the water, let it dry up on the piece of paper, and then send it back into the jail. And they'll sell, they'll tear pieces of paper off and sell it to the inmate population um, because it's basically paper with fentanyl on it and get them high. So that's why, that's what these men and women are challenged with in the jail system. And, and it is incredible the work that they do. But yeah, we have these setbacks like this, but the numbers are reflective of society. I appreciate the time as always. It's good to talk with you. Time just goes by so quickly, but we appreciate the time today. I hope you'll come back once the machines are in place. I'd like to hear how it's going. Absolutely. We'll come bring you through tour and take a look that's at the right. inside that out. Would, that would be cool. Absolutely. I would love to do that. All right. That's Sheriff Paul Penzone, Maricopa County Sheriff. Uh, just an update on what's happening in the jail system. And it's not just the deputies on the street. There's a lot of law enforcement that goes in inside the jails as well. We'll be back here in just a few.